Good morning. I got trapped coming up here, having to fight the kids, the mass exodus. That's a beautiful sight, isn't it? All them kids running downstairs, excited to go learn about the Lord. Hey, good morning. Hey, we're going to get started right away. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 1. Look, Jeff is salty. He was like, that's what I was going to preach on next week. You're just going to have to take chapter 2, Bubba, okay? <laughs> no, no, just, so if you, if you don't know, we just got done with an exhaustive study, right, of the book of Exodus. And I don't, you guys are, are snickering, I don't mean exhaustive negatively, right? It wasn't tiring. I mean complete, right? We completed that joker, right? It was good, good stuff, right? All right. So, hey, last week, uh, Jeff and I were on the same page, man. It was cool, uh, you know, with my welcome and my, and my greeting. And then when he got to offer him, we were, we were right there on that, on that same page. And it, that happens a lot, yeah. right? That happens a lot here. Uh, and it's really cool. And sometimes it's like that where it's almost like a carbon copy, you know, really, really close. Hey, sometimes it's like, you know, bricks, you know, stacking together, stacking on top of each other. Sometimes it's just a little thread, you know, and it's not just Jeff and I, it's with the music, with, with the message from Trent, you know, it just, just flows, you know. Hey, sometimes it doesn't happen at all, and that's okay. Hey, we're saying different things to different people here, right? We got a buffet, people are getting fed, right? Good stuff, right? And that's, that says a lot about our church, right? It really does. The spirit dwells in this place, right? And a lot of people, including all of you, make that happen, right? Hey, but I'm excited for Jeff next week. Cannot wait to hear him speak. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be praying for you, brother. Everybody be praying, um, right? Hey, this isn't, this isn't easy. You know, this, this is a struggle. You get attacked, you know. Things happened to me this week that never happened to me, right? Distractions and confusion and stuff. You got to work through it, right? And I, I've said this before, and I, I, think, I, I think I speak for, for everyone that comes up here and shares, uh, but definitely for myself. Hey, anything good that you get from anything I say is his. It's all his. It's all because of him, right? If there's any time I flub something up or you're like, man, I'm confused, Brandon wasn't making any sense with that, hey, that's me. That's, all, that's on me. That's my fault, right? So all, all glory to God, right? So whenever I'm asked to speak, um, I get this, this heavy feeling, right? It's, it's weighty, right? Um, it's similar to like when we do communion, you know? Um, just, it's, just a, it's just a serious, you know, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, I, I hesitate to use this word because I don't want you guys to think. It's almost like a dread, right? But it's not negative. Like, I look forward to it. I'm, I'm very excited to do this. This is a privilege and an honor. Uh, but it's just, you just get that feeling, right? And you just, you just want to get there and knock it out, you know? Um, and that being said, you know, uh, of, the, of the struggles of doing this, I, I just want to say, take a moment to say thanks to Trent for doing this week in and week out, you know, for, for care. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's hard to give that kind of appreciation to someone when they speak. Uh, so let's take the, you know, it's good to take a moment now to do it when he's not. Uh, we appreciate you carrying the torch for us, you know. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to, to come up this week and help you hold it. You know what I mean? And, and give you a break. So, uh, and we've got guys that can do that at any time. Uh, I'm not the only one. And uh, just, a, just a beautiful thing, right? It's hard to describe what it's like to prepare a message, Right? I knew as soon as I got the call, right, I was sitting at work a couple weeks ago, and uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't answer because I was with somebody, I was helping somebody, but I saw my, my, I had my phone sitting there, and I saw it was Trent. I'm talking immediately. I was like, oh, he's going he's gonna to ask me to share, you know. And uh, so then you, you get to that initial kind of part, and then it's like, okay, what am I going to share about? Right, and you're thinking about it, and there's nothing. <laughs> right? Blank, Right? Of course there is, because like that, that initial, sir, you're just, it's just in your head, and it's not coming for me. I can promise you that, you know. And uh, so you just, you're like, oh, man, I've got nothing. And then as, as it progresses, as you're preparing, 
you start getting these little nuggets, you know, these little thoughts, right? And they don't make sense at first, right? You're just kind of grasping, oh, you're like, oh, that's good, but that doesn't really go with that, you know, and, and uh, it just doesn't make all sense. And then, and then you're getting these little puzzle pieces. And then God just slowly starts connecting the dots for you and putting it all together, you know. And it's really a fulfilling experience. Uh, I'm exhausted. I'm going to sleep well tonight, I can tell you that. You know, I'm going to sleep good. Um, but it, it's just so cool to be able to sit down and, and have God put it all together for you, right? He reveals the whole picture, right? And uh, so early on in this process, I, you know, I walk every day. And I was walking and just uh, seeking the Lord and, and wanting to see what he wanted us to share today. And uh, he led me to this, and, I, and I'll tell you why, but we're, let's go ahead and uh, jump right into Scripture. We're going to start in John chapter 8. All right. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word this morning, Lord. Uh, that your spirit would fall among your people here this morning, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you would empty me this morning, and that I would overflow with your spirit, so that you would unbind my tongue, and that you would take complete control of everything that happens here. All these things we ask in your son's holy name, Jesus. Amen. Man, this is a big time scripture, right? And I felt totally unqualified to address it. Um, a couple weeks before Trinity even asked me to speak, I had come across this article, and it was just kind of had been kind of floating there. Um, and it's, it's about uh, what's going on in China right now. China, right? right. Good. Hey, that's probably the best impersonation I've ever heard. No, I'm just kidding. All right, all right, all right. Um, so, what China's doing right now, um, and not just with Christianity and the Bible, they're rewriting it. They are in the middle of a decade-long project to rewrite the Bible, okay, and other things too. Um, and it's called, it's hilarious, it's called sinization, or sinization is the process of this. And sin is right there in the beginning of the word, right, to sinicize, right? And what they do is they're trying to reinterpret and give this socialist slant, communist, you know, slant um, to everything, not, not just the word, so... And this, this story was, was mentioned specifically in the article. I'm not even going to tell you what they changed it to, right? That's not going to come out of my mouth from behind this pulpit because it's just utter blasphemy, okay? But if you're curious, you can look it up or you can ask me out of the, after the service, right? So it, when it, I was just flabbergasted that they would take this beautiful, beautiful story of Jesus, right, and try to twist it and... Uh, so I was really feeling led here, right? And so I went home, and I opened my Bible, and I turned to John chapter 8, after I found it, right where it was. Uh, and I learned some things. Learned some things right off the bat. This story is only found in John, right? And John is a little different, right? John is a gospel, right? But it's not known as one of the synoptic gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, where those are all really close together, they all work with each other, they're all very similar. John kind of stands off by itself, right? So it's not a surprise that we find this story here in John with, with so much other being, um, one being different, right? So I get to reading, and right off the bat, another thing jumps out to me. Hey, I don't know how many of you have got your Bibles open. Anybody? No? Okay. Does it, does it say in your Bible that there's like some brackets 
for this scripture like an asterisk. And it flat out says this, this scripture is not found in any of the early manuscripts. And so I started kind of Googling and doing some research and stuff. And there's a lot of people that don't even think that this section of scripture should be in here. And I read that and I was like, nope, not doing that. Right? No way. I can't, ta I can't tackle this topic. Right? That's, that's, that's a huge, you know, it's a huge story anyway. Right? right? I think this is one, probably one of the most well-known stories about Jesus. Right? Let he who was without sin cast the first stone. Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more, right? Super well-known, right? Super powerful message. And so then on top of that, we're adding this, you know, this level of controversy of whether it should even be in here. I was like, man, I don't want anything to do with this, you know? We can't comprehend. We can, but only with the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't, by human standards, comprehend how this Bible came together, Okay? And so let me just say, you know, we live in this world of super documentation, right? Everybody's got a camera in their pocket on their phone. We've got cameras everywhere. There's videos. There's recordings. We can't imagine in our place in, in society and culture now what it was like back then, right? So we're going to get into some stuff. Before I even say anything, I just want to say this so I don't confuse anybody. This is the complete, perfect word of God. I believe that with all my heart, okay? I even believe that the parables that Jesus told were real. Like, I think those really happened because Jesus was, was there for all of it. And so he, he had seen, so I, he didn't have to make up stories, moral tales, to prove a point. He could draw on actual history of things that really happened, okay? That, that's just me. That's what I, what I believe, okay? So to address kind of this controversy, the men who wrote this, some were educated, obviously Paul, right, who wrote a majority of the New Testament was very, very educated, right? But a lot of the disciples were not. And the Bible even says that, that these were not learned men, right? These were not educated men, okay? More so, eyewitness testimony is notoriously bad. It's thrown out of court all the time, okay? We know how unreliable memories are, right? Uh, matter of fact, so I work at a credit union, um, so this is kind of stuff we talk about. Uh, if this happens, do this. You know, we've got procedures and practices in place. If you get robbed, the first rule is to not talk and to separate everyone. Because when you start talking about this and that, your memories get influenced by the other people around you, right? So the, the, their account from their perspective can interfere with yours, right? So that's one of the first thing law enforcement wants to do is nobody talk, everybody separate, so they can get everybody's statements by themselves, right? <clears throat> I uh, studied psychology, and uh, I remember in one of my psychology classes on memory, we watched this video, like from a traffic cam, just of an accident in an intersection, maybe a minute long, you know, and so we watched this video, and directly after, uh, the professor turned it off, and he just started kind of talking, and, and talking about what we had just seen, and asking some different questions and stuff, and he got to this one part, I can't remember exactly what it was, it was something to do with what had happened, right? Whether if a pedestrian or a car was in a certain spot and what happened. And he said to the class, did this happen? And 70% of us raised our hands, me included. Said, yes, this video that I just saw two minutes ago, that happened, I, I saw it myself. He played the video again, didn't happen at all. And his remarks directly after that, he had influenced our memories that were just forming because we had just seen this and something, a key phrase that he said and the way he worded it made up the majority of us think something had happened that had not happened, right? <clears throat> These men that, that wrote this could not have imagined what Christianity would become, right? It totally, most of them thought Jesus was coming back while they were still going to be alive, right? Um, so they just couldn't imagine what, what this was going to be like, what this was going to mean coming down through the millennium right? I just don't think that everything that happened is known to us now, right? How many sermons did Jesus preach? How many parables did he talk? All the different places that he traveled. We just don't know it all. We just, we just don't. Um, you know, uh, and for a lot of that, especially the gospel, man, it was years 
sometimes decades before they even started writing some of this stuff down, right? Um, but I believe that this waiting period was a necessary refining period, okay? After they're gifted with the Holy Spirit, the memories were sharpened so that the most complete, accurate, and needed compendium of the life of Jesus and the will of God at work in humanity could be delivered to the future generations. Okay? So we all know councils of men had to come together, right? The early church, they had all these early thinkers and leaders, and they got together and they made creeds and different announcements, and this is, you know, similar people that put this together. But it wasn't them, right? It wasn't up to them, right? This was the Holy Spirit's influence in their lives that was helping build all this, right? Does that make sense? So here we go. So I think this will kind of just answer all the questions about this part. Let's go to John chapter 21. So this is the last two verses in this book of John, okay? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that could be written. So there it is, directly from the scriptures. I think that kind of handles that, that part of it, right? But we do still have questions, and, it, and it's from biblical scholars. These are the guys that are questioning about whether this particular scripture belongs here where we find it today. So let's talk about that. One of the things, and I'm, I'm quoting these guys, but I'm not going to say their names just because I don't want to, you know, put them on blast. They might be listening. Um, one guy said that this, this story, seriously, this, this story that we love so much is an obstacle to reading the true narrative of John's gospel. Another said that this passage be omitted from preaching in churches. Luckily, I'm not listening to that guy. Right? But because of this questioning and this confusion, especially from believers, right, especially from, from people that hold this to be true, we give our adversaries ammunition, right? And they latch onto this. And they say, well, what about this? You know, it's like, dude, you don't believe any of it. So what, you know, and it's fine that we have discussions and kind of and talk about this stuff and dive deep and try to dig, you know, and figure all this stuff out. That's fine. We need to do that amongst each other, yeah. right? We don't need to do that with, with non-believers. There's, there's, there's no sense in that, right? It's not going to help anybody. But even early church leaders and thinkers questioned this passage. Some did not. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Augustine of Hippo, also known as St. Augustine, right? He lived in the early 300s, I believe, if I remember right. I did this, uh, this course in, in college called a Survey of Modern Christian Thought and Culture. Great, great class. Great, great professor. Um, Augustine of Hippo is really responsible for a lot of ideas that we just completely take for granted now. Back then, he was really fleshing out uh, divinity, original sin, the Trinity. Uh, he was a really, really good uh, Christian, uh, has really, really good writings. Uh, and so what he said about this section was that it's not found in the early, early versions because men were scared that it was going to give women like free-for-all to commit adultery, right? So it was in their like, lack of confidence in themselves that they would omit this, you know, uh, so that was his thought. Um, but let's just look and see how this story fits in the context, okay? So let's go, we're going to go before and we're going to go after and see if this, this story of, of forgiveness fits with all that, right? Uh, so the day before, we find Jesus teaching in the temple, in John chapter 7, verse 14 through 19. Then midway through the festival... Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. But a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obey it. In fact, you were trying to kill me. So we have himself, we have Jesus here in the temple, and this is the very day before this next story, okay? 
And we see that he's talking to people and he's letting them know, hey, I'm here, not for me, I'm here on behalf of God, right? I'm a messenger. And we also see him point out that they cling to this law of Moses, but they don't even obey it, right? And he said, you're trying to kill me, right? You're trying to use the law to bring death when that was never the point of the law. The law was to bring life, right? So this, the festival that's mentioned at the beginning there is the Festival of Shelters. Uh, you'll also see it called the Festival of Tabernacles, right? Uh, remember that. We're going to come back to it, okay? Uh, let's move on to the, to the next session. So uh, Jesus is still preaching in the temple, John 7, 37 through 38. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in, in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. We're going to touch back on this one too. But hey, look, this is a huge proclamation. Public, in the temple, during a festival, with all the crowds, every good Jew would have been there, right? Tons of people heard this. This was, this was a huge proclamation, right? And we can see that by their reaction, right? Let's move on to the next, uh, starting in verse 40. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. You've got to imagine that for many, this might have been the first time they've ever even seen Jesus, or maybe even heard of Jesus, right? They're just going to the temple for the festival, and then now here's this guy, right? And he makes this proclamation, and they hear it. And just like today, with us, some accept and some reject. You know, some of them are like, oh, I like what I'm hearing, you know, this, this is what we've been waiting for. And others are like, this is crazy talk, right? So this happened right before, this huge proclamation. You got to imagine that his disciples were with him, right? And they could see this, they heard this, and they saw the crowd's reaction, okay? So let's jump right after, okay? So right after the story of the woman where he tells her to go and sin no more, okay? John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Whoa, man, another huge proclamation, right? Back to back. And, uh, and you can kind of... When, when, we're, when you're starting to see that in context now, you can kind of see that the this, this disciples for this other story in the middle doesn't hold as much weight for them as these two, you know, that it's right in the middle of, right? So let's, let's, let's move on. So Jesus goes on to say, um, you know, why he's here and, and who sent him. And, th and they kind of question him, right? So they're like, well, hey, wait a minute. You can't, you can't declare this about yourself. Right? You've got to have witnesses, right? So that was Jewish law. You had to have some backup to your testimony. And, Jewish, and Jesus comes back and says, well, I'm one witness, and my father who sent me is the next, right? And so they're like, well, who's your father? Okay, let's, let's move on to, to verse 19. So who, where is your father, they asked. And Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. So they, this was kind of in, you know, they were like, he was responding to, well, where's your witnesses, right? And he said, you know, I've got this covered, right? And what's funny about that, these are the same guys that just brought this woman to him with no witnesses, right? So they're trying to like throw on him what they just did. So Jesus continues to teach, and they continue not to understand, you know. And it's funny, we, we get going in this, and they cling, just like they're clinging to the law of Moses, 
They cling to being children of Abraham. You know, we're children of Abraham, you know. And they keep going on. And, uh, and, and, Je- and Jesus calls them out. He says, well, you're not acting like Abraham. Abraham was a friend of God, you know. Abraham listened to God. And, uh, man, we get to this section of Scripture, I absolutely could not leave it out. Because, man, Jesus comes in here and lays down some heavy truth. This is, this is big-time stuff right here. Starting in verse 42. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me, because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The crowd was ready to stone him after this, right? This was huge, man. Who do you belong to? Who's your father? There's only two choices. There's only two choices. And this, man, this scripture is a great definition of the devil. I mean, it lays him bare for exactly who he is. Later down here at the end, um, I didn't have this one uh, prepared, but I wanted to share. Because they still, they're still going back with him. We're children of Abraham, you know. Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. And at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But, they, but Jesus was hidden from them. That's big time, man. That's, that's a lot of heavy stuff going on. So let's go back real quick um, to verse 20, 19 and 20 in this same chapter. Uh, I want to point out something here, right? So we see that Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. Okay? You remember the festival? We were talking about, right, this festival just ended the night before, right? We see that very clearly in Scripture, okay? And a lot of times you, you got to measure uh, Jewish festivals a little differently because sometimes a one-day festival really has two dates, right? Because they do different, they'll do like sunrise to sunset the next day. They'll do, you know, sunset to sunset, you know. So the dates may fall, but they just consider that kind of a of the day, right? Um, so this festival, the, felter, the Festival of Shelters and Tabernacles, does anybody know why they were celebrating, what they celebrate during that? So they celebrate being lost in the wilderness, okay? And what they, what they lift up is the pillar of fire, right, at night, the light. They celebrate because that represented God's presence and protection among them, right? It's, it's one of the holiest festivals that Jewish people have, right? It's, it's, it's a big-time festival. So this festival is all about celebrating how God was present with them in the wilderness, right? That, all, that, was, that he was all they needed. And during this festival, they kept lamps and candles lit the whole time, okay, day and night. Well, in this, in this section of the temple known as the treasury, that's where they keep the candle stands and the lamps that represent the light of God, right? The pillar of fire, Okay. Now, what's curious about this, too, is that during this festival, after it ends, they put them out. They, extingu- they extinguish them, okay, on that morning, the morning after, right? So here you've got Jesus in the treasury where this is, this is you know, known to represent the pillar of light, right? And it's being put out. Maybe it had just gotten put out. And then we see Jesus with the perfect timing. Verse 12. I am the light of the world. 
If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. The timing is perfect, you know. He's in this place that represents the pillar of light that they're all celebrating, and as they're getting put out, he's like, man, that doesn't even matter anymore. I am the light of the world, right? I am here to take care of you. My presence will always be with you. I will always provide. Man, there was one night this week when I was preparing this and putting this together, and I came upon this. I was overwhelmed. I felt like I had traveled through time. I could picture Jesus here as they had just put it out. You could still smell the smoke and see the smoke rising as they had put it out. And he's sitting there going, I am the light of the world. And I, man, I was thinking to myself, was he thinking about me when he said that? You know, could he picture me here at my table preparing this word to share and, and diving in his scripture? And he could see me through the ages and knowing what, you know, we were going to, the example we were going to use this morning. <sighs> Of course he could see me. Of course he could. He could see all of us. We got to be in that moment with him. That's awesome. So considering the context, what came before and what came after, we could see that this story fits perfectly. It's not just randomly thrown in here right at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. This story fits perfectly, right? And even though it was missing from the early manuscripts, we know that the Holy Spirit was at work to put this section exactly where it belongs, right? And you can see how, for people then, they would have just missed the significance of this. We get to look back through, through being saved, through the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and, and know how big a story of, of Jesus forgiving this woman in front of everybody is, right? But to them, when you go, you know, he just said he was the fount of living water, and then he said he was the light of the world, these two huge public proclamations, you know, that were, you know, they had crazy crowd reactions, they were controversial statements. You can see where, you know, from, from the disciples' perspective, when you throw in this story of him forgiving a lady, they were like, yeah, Jesus was a nice guy. Right? That's what he does. You know, for them, it was just daily routine for him, sandwiched in between this, you know that these other moments stuck out to them, right? It was a little overshadowed in their mind, right? So we see it as equally important, if not more so important, right, looking back. Like, we love this story. We're saved by this story. All right, so I hope that we've sufficiently covered the controversy about whether this belongs in Scripture. Okay, you can scratch out the brackets, right, the asterisks, you can get rid of that. We're all in agreement that we've made a good argument. All right, so we can end the introduction now and get started on the scripture. <laughs> Let's dive in. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. Not the first time we've seen Jesus here, not the last time we're going to see Jesus here, Right? Mount of Olives is, is a huge place of importance in the Bible. The Mount of Olives is about a two-mile-long mountain range. Not like the Rocky Mountains. They're not huge, you know, but they're overlooking Jerusalem, right? Some of the things that we've seen happen here, you know, it's not a surprise to see Jesus spend the night here. Uh, this is where he got the donkey. This is where he rode down from into Jerusalem, right? Uh, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Bethany was very close to the Mount of Olives. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is here. The ascension took place here. A lot of people think that that's where he's going to come back to, is that exact place, right? Uh, end time prophecy will say that uh, the Mount of Olives mountain range will be split in two, and that there will be a valley there in the end days, right? Uh, so big time location to kind of set our stage as he's entering um, into, back into the temple. So early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd had soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Everything about what they're doing is wrong. Okay? So we've already kind of mentioned it. They're supposed to have two witnesses, right? They don't. 
she's supposed to be taken to the high priest, which they did take her, take her to the high priest, but they didn't know it. You know what I mean? Uh, the man should have been here too. Absolutely, you know. Uh, this is a kangaroo court, just like when they tried Jesus. If you, when you dive into the trial of Jesus, every single thing they did was against Jewish law. All of it was wrong, right? So, and we can see, so in Leviticus chapter 20, I told, I told you we was getting some Leviticus today, you didn't believe me. Verse 10, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death, right? So he should have been there too, okay? Let me go ahead and go back to, go back to John. Go ahead to the next one. So teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him. This was a trap. This was absolutely a trap. Because only the Romans at this time, when they're in control of this area, could deliver death sentences. Only the Romans, right? So if Jesus had said, yeah, law of Moses, let's stone her, right? They could have just arrested him with the Romans, okay? But if he sides with the Romans and goes against Jewish law, right, that puts him in a pickle, right? But, and again, though, we see them clinging to the law of Moses. But they have it backwards. They're trying to use the law to give death. The law is for life, right? God didn't want you put to death. God doesn't want you to sin. That was the point of the law, right, to live through it, to have life through it, right? So Jesus responds in a beautiful Jesus fashion, and he stoops down and writes in the dust. Sorry, lost my place there. Using they were trying to trap him and use something against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. It's a big old mystery. This is a big thing, too. This is the only time, only time that we are told that Jesus wrote anything. You can't find it anywhere else, right? There's plenty of debate about what he, what he wrote. And we're going we're gonna to tackle it a little bit. We're going to try to figure it out, okay? Hey, how sweet is it that he wrote in the dust with his finger? Wasn't that long ago that we were learning about somebody else writing with their finger on the Ten Commandments, right? So what did Jesus write? There's a very, very good argument that he wrote scripture, okay? Whenever Jesus, in, in any of the stories, is being questioned by the religious teachers, the religious leaders, nine times out of ten, he's, he's responding with scripture, right? He's saying, it is written, you should know the scriptures, he's quoting scriptures, right? So, very good case that he's using scripture. Um, and that's right in his character, right? From everything we know, um, this is how he often responds. A uh, lot of different ideas on this. One of them I came across, um, I didn't write it down. I think it was from Hosea chapter 4. Uh, but the lady said he, that he wrote uh, one of those scriptures. Essentially, it's, it's God saying that he holds men more accountable uh, in these kind of situations. Uh, so it's even more of a crime uh, that the man wasn't there, that they had only brought the woman. Uh, so that, you know, and, and she made a decent argument. It was fine. Um, but my, my, so my, this is my second place favorite, okay? This is the one that's really, really close for what kind of scripture he wrote. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. So remember when we were looking at the context, right? Remember what happened right before uh, in John 37, 38, when he says rivers of, riving, of living water will flow, right? What's interesting about this, again, like with when he said, I'm the light of the world in, in the treasury with the lamps, remember the festival, okay? So this, he said this right at the, at the end of the festival, okay? This was the... The, the Festival of Shelters Tabernacles. It's also called, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, my Hebrew's a little rusty, Sukkot, okay? Um, so Sukkot was going on. So this year, 
Sukkot is September 29th through October, October 6th, right? Jews still celebrate it to this day, the same exact festival, okay? Now, what's interesting about these dates, and I, the, look, the Jewish calendar changes. I don't understand it all the way. I'm not saying that, that it was the beginning of October when this was taking place, okay? Not saying that because it moves, you know, throughout the years, okay? But just saying for this year, September 29th through October 6th is the Festival of Tabernacles that they were just ending. September 24th through 25th, so just a few days before this, maybe about a week, right, is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, okay? At the end of the Day of Atonement, what happens is during the, during the Day of the Atonement, the high priest is making all the sacrifices, right, for all of Israel, to get them, you know, prepared for the next year to come, right? To, to cleanse them. He is actually cleansed, baptized, immersed 11 times throughout that day in between the sacrifices and stuff, okay? And what's interesting here is that at the end of the Day of Atonement, after the priest had been immersed, to, to end the whole celebration, this is what he reads. This verse Lord, you are the hope, in, some, in, in the Hebrew versions, the hope, you can use that word as a mercer, as baptizer, right? All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. So this had just happened, the Day of Atonement. And every Jew would have known this, this verse, right? They say it at the end of every Day of Atonement, okay? This end of the day, the most holy day, this is how they ended it, with this scripture. So it, it tracks that he would write this scripture down, especially coupled with, we just heard him say at the end of the festival, that he was, and this was, a, everybody knew what he was talking about. When he said, I'm the fount of living water, they were like, oh, he's tying that to Jeremiah. He's the immerser. He's the baptizer of Israel, right? They all would have seen that. And so that really fits in the context, right? Jesus was re revealing himself as the living water, um, this would not have been lost on them. Uh, and we also see, this, another good argument, is that he's writing in the dust, right? Just like it says in the scripture, those who, who turn to you will be written in the dust, right? So very, very good argument that this is the scripture that he was writing. I don't think this is it. Not that he didn't write this, but I don't think this scripture enough was enough to warrant the reaction we see in the, in the story, in the context, right? I just don't think him writing these words, because I think they were just blinded, and they wouldn't have made that, that kind of connection to really, because he was saying really who he is. Does that make sense? Because um, we, see, we see them start slipping away, right, one by one, starting with the oldest. So something else was happening here to, to, to get to that kind of reaction. Let's go back to John. So they kept, he, he, he sits down, he writes in the dust, okay? And they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and kept writing in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left. This is what I think is happening here, Okay? So traditionally, in this case, when the woman was being brought, right, she should have been brought to the high priest. Okay, that's what should have happened. She was, you know, they didn't know that. The high priest would kneel down on the temple and write the names of the accused. And he would write their sins, what they had been charged with. And it had to be in the dust so that if they were cleared, he could wipe it away. I believe that Jesus, first of all, before, before the second writing, the first writing, I believe that Jesus was calling them out because they brought this woman to him. They shouldn't have, you know, and they're trying to trap him. So I believe Jesus stooped down and wrote her name and wrote adultery. Right, because that's what the high priest would have done. That's what that's what should have been done. So he was calling them out, and that's why you see them get mad. Like, hey, we want an answer, you know. He says, okay, you without sin cast the first stone. 
He kneels down again. And he starts writing their names and their sins and says, let you who are without sin throw the first stone. Of course, there's only one there without sin. Only one person standing there without sin, right? And so we could see that they're convicted by this. And he could have wrote, wrote Jeremiah as well, right? And this, this is really a fulfillment of Jeremiah, right? Because it says, those who turn away from you and forsake you, I'm going to write them in the dust. So we see them writing him in the dust, and we see them turning away from him. And they're slipping away. We've all been in that courtyard. We've all been laid bare and exposed in front of everyone. There's no secret to hide our shame. There's no, our guilt is not in question, right? And neither is the penalty. The penalty is death for our sins. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? In Hebrew, the word for accuser is Satan. And Satan has tricked us into replacing shame with pride. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. That's how you are. That's how you were made. Everybody does it. He, he, that's why I wanted to read that definition of him. He's the father of lies. He wants to trick you into acting like nothing that you did. Because we all have that. When we do something wrong, we all feel guilty. We all feel that shame. We'll all try to hide it, right? That's human nature. And he's trying to twist you into getting rid of that step. Don't even feel guilty about that. It's fine. Everything's fine. This is... But here's the thing. He's the first one pointing at you going, look at them, they're guilty. He's the one standing there accusing you. And then there's Jesus. With no condemnation. Miss Carrie up here? No? Okay. Um, okay. We got Jesus standing there after he's turned away all the accusers. And I don't, I don't condemn you either. But there's direction after that. There's more to do. Right? Go. And sin no more. He's sitting here saying, it's okay. You're guilty. You are guilty. But my love for you is greater. And I will take your place. And I will suffer your punishment. Choose me. Choose life. And leave death behind. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm not a fire and brimstone guy. But we're, we're going to, we got to cover some lake of fire scripture. We just got to. Because, you know, we're talking about what, what was written, what Jesus wrote in the sand. And that's up for debate. But what's not up for debate is that Jesus has written your name in one of two places. Your name will be written in one of the books, right? Let's pull up Revelation chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Miss Carrie, come on up. 
I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Look, I talked about it before, man, when we were talking about the, you know, father, either the devil's the father or God's your father. There's, there's just two choices, man. There's only two choices. Your name is written. It's either written in the dust to be given to the earth, or it's written in the book of life. There's no book of the fence. There's no book of the middle. No book of the median. No book of the I'm just hanging out, right? We're on a highway, man. There's no staying in the median. There's no getting off on the shoulder. You're either going one way or you're going the other way. Stand with me for a moment. Hey, as terrifying as this is, right, the lake of fire, I'm not trying to scare you to Jesus this morning, right? Because the joy of Jesus outweighs being terrified of, of death, right? The joy of Jesus is so much better. Y'all all just bow your heads with me for a little bit. Let's just take a moment to, to kind of gather our thoughts and, and let this soak in this morning. Uh, but when we, when we choose Jesus, when we, when we turn away from this life of sin, it's so much better. The reward is so great. What's coming, right? Clark, if you'll throw up that other revelation, the 21... Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Amen.